Welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio program. This program is designed to bring to you everything else in your life that might help you create a fit life. Um, Tonight, I decided to bring on a guest in a series of shows because February is the National Eating Disorder Awareness Month. And so... A lot of information is being put out about this, and I wanted to put together a series of shows because I see a lot of things happening um, on my end as a fitness professional that people may not necessarily realize, or they don't know where to get help and that kind of thing. So my very first show in this series is with Dr. Jill Illigan. Is that how you pronounce it? Illigan. Illigan, sorry. (laughs) Illigan. She's a local therapist here in Charleston, and we are going to cover disordered eating. So disordered eating is something that I feel like is the number one um, as far as as the clients that I see and the people that I interact with on on a regular basis. Disordered eating... um, very much in society, it's very acceptable, if not expected. Um, you know, the fact that I don't weigh myself on a regular basis, it may seem odd. Um, you know, counting calories in, calories out, I don't do that either. And some, you know, some people will say, oh my gosh, what kind of what kind of fitness professional are you? Well, I, I'm one that likes to not live by numbers like that, because um, that's not really living to me. So anyway, I want to welcome on Dr. Jill El- Elegant. Elegant. <laughs> I will get it by the end. Like Aladdin. <laughs> well, like Aladdin. Great. Yeah. Um, so welcome. And please explain just a little bit more about your background and how you got into this field. Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me. And um, my name is Dr. Jill Alagan. Um, I usually just have people call me Dr. Jill, though. That makes yeah, it, can things that. a little bit easier. Okay, you feel free to just call me Jill, by all okay. means. Um But yeah, I'm a psychologist uh, here in Charleston, and um, I have a private practice in Mount Pleasant um, where I specialize in um, treating people who struggle with disordered eating. Um, I also see people, you know, with a range of um, problems from anxiety to depression and relationship issues, but really my specialty is around disordered eating and um, eating disorders. Um, And so that's what I do for my profession. Um, I like doing things outdoors as well. Um, love to stand up paddleboard. We share that love for sure. <laughs> love to, um, bike and, um, just get outside anytime it's, um, sunny and warm enough. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. That's really great. And, and I love how you just brought in, um, the, the anxiety and depression into the eating um, into your eating, the eating practice, it mm-hmm. is all tied together. Yeah. If there is an issue with eating, it's, it's stemming from somewhere else, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And anxiety is usually one of the primary things that I find with people who are struggling with something around eating. There really does seem to be a high level of anxiety. And sometimes the behaviors are there to cope, help someone cope with that anxiety. Yeah, uh, I have to say, so I I was I was a binge eater with the best of them, um, but I just I ended up exercising um, to get rid of all the extra food I ate. But yes, it's therapeutic in a way to stand there and just put food in your mouth. Yes, <laughs> right? it is. Yeah, people wouldn't do it if there wasn't a reason for it. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So which brings me kind of around to my very first point of let's talk about what disordered eating looks like. 
Um, yeah. So I kind of touched a little bit on counting calories in calories out and that's not just coming up with a baseline. That's like obsessing about the calories. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe weighing ourselves too frequently, Mm -hmm, uh, placing too much value on that. What, what are some things and you can feel free to talk a little bit more about those too. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that what can help with sort of defining disordered eating is just sort of briefly mentioning what what it's not. So, you know, eating disorders um, are disorders like anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder that people are familiar with that where someone meets clinical criteria for that specific disorder. Um, But then you have a whole slew of behaviors outside of that criteria um, where it's still problematic for people and they still, it still interferes with their functioning and their quality of life. Um, but it doesn't quite meet the clinical criteria for an eating disorder. So then, um, some people, and that's kind of entered into our vernacular to talk about it as disordered eating. And so that can be the counting calories, that can be the weighing, that can be, you know, there's a lot of body image stuff that's usually wrapped up in that, um, that, a person's self-worth comes solely from the number on the scale and how close they can get to an idealized body type that they have in their head. Um, and some of the other behaviors that go along with that, whether it's over-exercising, um, laxative use, um, and then a lot of the feelings that go along with that, feeling shamed about your body, feeling guilty about how you're eating your food, how you're not eating your food. And it just takes up more and more and more time and energy in someone's head. Yeah, and that's that's such a great point. I know that, um, you know, when I I would obsess over the food, it it would it did take up so much headspace. I mean, yeah. there were so many things that you either you miss out on socially or. Um, it, 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 it does affect you socially. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard on multiple occasions where somebody will get on the scale and that number, whatever they see in the morning, that sets the tone for n- maybe not even their entire day, maybe their whole week, you yeah. know, that they were unhappy with that number. Um, I've done a couple of things that I'm actually going to put this in the show notes where I am 23 pounds more now than what I was about four years ago, mm-hmm. but I look the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh-huh. so it, you know, stay off the scale. Like I, you know, it's, yeah. um, it doesn't really represent anything, um, solid. It's just this number that we put out there. And then, you know, then we, also with technology and I mean, it was in the magazines for years, believe me, but you see all these different things about like, you know, counting the numbers and, and paying mm-hmm. attention to the numbers it makes it very easy to obsess, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Numbers, um, really do stick in people's head. That's something that's concrete, it's measurable and that helps people not feel is anxious um, yeah right because it gives you guidelines yeah as long as it's going in the right direction and yeah. then when it's going in the wrong direction then you see the anxiety peak um, and then these behaviors come in to get the number going back into the right direction so that the anxiety can decrease um, so yeah numbers I tell people that I don't really do numbers that I don't need to know I'm not going to check in on how many calories they're eating. I'm not going to check in how much they weigh. Um, I leave that to nutritionists and physicians that I work with. Mm -hmm. They're kind of in charge of the numbers and I get to work more with people on who they are and their goals and um, what they're trying to accomplish. And then do you find too that after you've been working with somebody for a little while, maybe they don't need 
to they don't need those numbers anymore? Do they kind uh, of abandon that? Eventually. Sometimes numbers stick around for a while. And even if they're not, you know, a lot of people will take a scale out of their house so they don't have access to a scale or a tape measure possibly. Um, but it's still in their head. Even if they're not engaging in the behaviors around weighing or around counting calories, it's still kind of in their head. And that kind of actually sticks around for a while, but it does eventually go away. But yeah. it's not really one of the first things to go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I know with my program, we um, talk about non-scale victories. Actually, it was, you know, so I was saying stay off the scale. And um, one of my clients, she was actually, she was the one that told me about the term, but we talk about non-scale victories. So yeah, we talk about like, like you know, did I increase the number of repetitions that I could complete in the allotted time? And uh-huh. did I increase my weight that I was lifting? And um, did I notice, you know, even non-scale victories such as it was so much easier for me to vacuum my steps today. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> so, so those yes. things, is that, is that something that um you know somebody could maybe shift their thinking a little bit by choosing to focus on those numbers for sure yeah I think that um you know that really anytime you can give people more than one thing to gauge their progress on you know that even if you only use the number of reps that could become out of balance so you need a number of things I think to let people know that they're progressing in the way that they want to be progressing for some people you know they reach a point where they can go back and use the scale in a way that doesn't become obsessive it's not damaging to them some people they can't get to that point Mm -hmm. but anytime you have a number of things that you can use to look and be like okay I've made this progress on this and progress on this and that can be even outside of fitness and even you know goals that someone might be meeting with regards to work or relationship goals um you know maybe a certain hobby or skill set where they're their self-worth is the input of their self-worth is being measured by something other than a number on a scale. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, I'm so glad you talked about that because that's what I found with myself was that once, you know, and I can look at this over my whole entire life, the more into the fitness piece I was, Mm -hmm. whether it was, and I, you know, like the scale, yeah, I guess the scale was part of it, but the more into that piece I was, the, um, I found that it was because I was much less fulfilled in a lot of the other areas of my life. Like I wasn't fulfilled in my work. So I spent more time working out and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of a coping mechanism and I've made my way through it, but I did go through a period of time where it was super obsessive in the, in the exercise department. Yeah. Yeah. And that shift can happen where people find, you know, it doesn't happen all at once. If it happened all at once, less people would have this struggle. But it is just slowly over time, more and more energy goes to this one area, and then that leaves less energy for other areas. Yeah, yeah. that's And, and it's it's exhausting for people who are around, um, who, who don't have this, this same obsession with fitness or numbers or diet or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is exhausting. It's hard to carry on relationships with people who do. Yeah. Because you feel like, as the person being that, that into it, you feel like isolated sure as the person who's really not into that you're kind of annoyed by it because you're like can we move on to something that's like you know a little less fitness (laughs) yeah 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 that does happen and so then I think people start surrounding themselves with more and more like-minded people and then that can kind of you know at the same time in one way it's good because they are sort of 
at least surrounded by people, but in another way it can be detrimental in that they're surrounded by only other like-minded people who might have a tendency to be a little obsessed about the same yes. thing they are. Yes. So they're not getting other input from people who prefer, you know, to watch movies or do <laughs> art or do crafting or whatever, you know. Yeah, I do know because I, <laughs> I um, so a lot of the listeners, they did find me through my competitive fitness background. I competed mm-hmm. um, as a figure competitor and then he also coached as a figure competitor or as a, as a coach. Uh, in that field. And so now when I get around some of my fitness friends that I competed with, if they still compete, they want to talk about macronutrients. And I just have to like, I just, I really trying to just walk away from the conversation because I'm like, I can't know. I'm not yeah. talking about grams of protein and fat and carbohydrates. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just, cause I can't do it. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I, because I, you know, I feel like, yeah, that took up a ton of my headspace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I kind of figured out my formula for it, like I, I don't need to obsess over that stuff anymore. You yeah. Know? And could I be more ripped? Sure. But it's not worth it to me. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like balance. There's no, there's, that's the best reward. That's like, that's the huge trophy right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And balance is a big piece of what I work with people on is trying to move them towards balance that lots of times disordered eating will have them be on really extreme ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Either they're eating a ton or they're not eating at all. They're exercising a ton or they're not exercising at all. Um, And that moving towards balance is really kind of the opposite of where that disordered eating exists. And so as they move towards balance, their perspective starts to shift and they have less and less room for being in those extremes. Yeah, like it's kind of, yeah, they're not, uh, they used to be compelled to count those things and now they're kind of like pushed away from those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or even just, oh, well, I could count that or I could just, you know, go have a glass of wine with a girlfriend. And that sounds way more fun than counting the calories and worrying about how much I'm going to consume. Yeah, so it can't even that food guilt, right? Yeah. That's the worst feeling ever. Yeah. Once you can stop that cycle too. I know I used to eat like, uh, th- and one of the things too that, um, and you know, maybe, maybe there's something different here, but one of the things that I read was talking about how um, during the day, some of the reasons we overeat at night is because during the day, our cortisol levels are really high and we're busy and we're doing stuff. And then mm-hmm. in the evening, our cortisol levels kind of come down and we have time uh-huh. and we have access to yes. the food and, you know, there are other chemical things going in our bodies and then that's when we want to eat. So like, you know, if you feel like you turn into a werewolf when the like when the sun goes <laughs> right. down, which is what I felt like for years. Yeah. You know, you stand there and you eat like the peanut butter out of the jar with the spoon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you go to bed and then you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I did it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's nice to break that cycle. Yeah. And not have that food guilt. Yeah. And part of it's helping people identify when they are most vulnerable to those types of behaviors, you know. So a similar kind of explanation is that, you know, our self-control um, is really a muscle and just like, As you know, you know, you can fatigue a muscle, um, but if you can also not work out a muscle and it can atrophy and you want to find somewhere in the middle with that self-control muscle um, so that you are left with something left over at night. Um, That's so interesting you say that because I was just listening to a book the other day that was Uh talking about that. And they were saying that, you know, it is possible to overexercise it 
during the day and not have anything left for it at night. Actually, yeah. it was a book on charisma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny because they weren't talking about food at all. Yeah. But they were talking about willpower. Yeah. And so you, if you only have a certain amount, and so mm-hmm. if you use it all up during the day, then you're kind of... It's kind of gone at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And even decisions not related to food and exercise wear on that self-control muscle or use it. So if you're having to make decisions at work about, you know, something that's completely not food related, it's still pulling on that same muscle as when you get home and you decide if you're going to eat the peanut butter or not. Yeah. And then the peanut butter is not going to like, you know make you lose your job or affect that right. part. So you're like, well, whatever. All right. This is the one thing I can do here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, huh. Yeah. That's that just knowing that helps to take away some of that food guilt, you yeah. know, and, it, and yeah. understand where you can maybe decrease some of the stressors during your day. So you can make better choices later. Sure. On at night. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're yeah. going to take just one quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about, um, treatment options for this. So now that we've kind of defined what it is, uh, I want to move forward with some more of these techniques that we can talk about. Welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio show. So now we are going to talk about some of the different techniques that we can use to help. Um, to I, I say it's just to gain more freedom, right? Like yes, that's to, a great way to yeah, put it. Yeah, you're going to free up some of the headspace. So you don't mm-hmm. worry so much about the food and, and the numbers. Oh my gosh, seriously, I kept those spreadsheets of whenever I kept my macronutrient <laughs> breakdown. It was ridiculous yeah. how much time I spent It's a lot of numbers, stuff. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and I was good at it. I was a nuclear engineer before I did fitness. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was all over numbers. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, Dr. Jill, if you could just tell us a little bit more about some of these different techniques um, for getting past some of these these blocks, these barriers. Okay, yeah. Well, there's a number um, of different ways that people might um, go about treating disordered eating. Um, and I'm not going to get into all of those. Um, one of the ones that I use probably the most is something called narrative therapy. Um, and just the short elevator speech about narrative therapy is it's really changing a person's storyline about their life. So they come in and they have a problem storyline um and you help them build this alternative storyline so an example of this storyline because i hear this a lot um i used to say it myself well i'm the kind of person who if i'm gonna have some of it i'm gonna have all of it yes okay so So, like you just told that story that's how it's gonna work yeah i'm an all or nothing person and that's part of that problem storyline and i've always been that way and i can't change it and so then I get really interested in, well, have they really always been that way? Have there been exceptions to that storyline? And if so, what were they and what was going on at that time? So that they start to identify coping skills they really already have within themselves where they were able to overcome the problem or get some distance from that problem storyline. Um, so that's kind of the theory behind narrative therapy I love in that. a nutshell. I, yeah. Cause that, I mean, I had to do some of that. I, I say too, like, you know, if, if this is the advice I give, if you're going to go to a party, a holiday event, something like that, 
if you walk up to that buffet table and you start telling people like, oh, I really shouldn't, but I'm like, you know, that's, you may as well just shove the food in your mouth because yeah. you're probably going to end up that way. So if you just change that story from the beginning mm-hmm. and you go to it and you don't give it any, don't pay it any mind, you know, yeah. just have whatever you need to have for food and stop telling that story because that's part of the storyline is yeah. telling somebody else I shouldn't having the other person say go ahead and do it right and then you do it and then you go oh I shouldn't have I'm bad like that yeah. you know I hear that a lot I mean yeah. I've told myself that story all the time yeah so, so you just stop it right like you just yeah and sometimes it's hard to just stop it and so sort of finding ways to change it um, and shift the focus again Um, so one of those techniques um, that I use it's called externalizing Um, it was made really popular by a book called Life Without Ed Ed being Eating Disorder um, by Jenny Schaefer Um, we'll put that in the show notes too so you guys can link to that yeah and it's a great book for anyone who struggles with um, whether it's disordered eating or an eating disorder or even knows someone that they really care about who struggles with this it's really enlightening Um, it really she framed it as such that Ed was um, really an abusive partner that she was um, getting a divorce from um, and so you externalize the problem and, you know, we're talking about disordered eating today. So I thought, well, let's not call it Ed because you're right. going to talk about Ed on another show later on yeah. this week um, or this month. And so we could call it DEET. So like D for disordered and then E-A-T for eating. So we could just call it DEET. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about DEET, we can kind of talk about it in terms of how DEET affects someone. What is, if you're hanging out with DEET, what are you doing? Um, how does DEET impact your relationships with other people? And that what this allows is this space for people to get a perspective on that storyline or on that problem. Um, and they can really see what DEET is up to. Well, DEET makes me feel bad about eating what I ate and so then I stay inside so I really haven't been spending as much time with my friends and I've been spending more time with DEET especially at night Mm. and so they can get a really a clearer grasp on what this problem looks like and then they can start making decisions about how they want to change that oh that's great yeah yeah and it can be very powerful for people yeah um to kind of even just to feel the sense of relief it kind of relieves some self-blame because they're kind of able to blame things on DEET. And kind of paradoxically, it increases control and responsibility because now they're making a choice about what they're going to do with regards to DEET as, as opposed to feeling like they're just being controlled by DEET. That's great. Because then, I mean, I'm such a visual person. Like, mm-hmm. I totally, whenever you, I mean, I just made Deet some dude that was, like, <laughs> gross and, you know, a jerk. And so, yeah. like, whenever you said, like, spending time at night with Deet, I was like, no, I totally picture it, like, opening the door and showing him out and shutting the door. And being like, yes. nope, I'm good here. <laughs> yeah, I don't need you in here. No, yeah. we're good. Yeah. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah, and those kind of visual things can stick with people even in the moment where maybe they're hesitating whether or not to shove deet out the door, if they've already kind of visualized that, it oftentimes make it 
makes it easier to do it again or do it in real life. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah. I, that's, I never really, and I am such a visual person. I'm totally <laughs> going to picture this now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, diff- you know, some people come up with their own names for it. And that's what I always encourage because then it's closest to their individual experience of yeah. what they're dealing with. For some people, it's male. For some people, it's female. For some people, it's gender neutral. Um, so it's also a creative exercise that can be used even then you can have them draw and represent their relationship with these. So you can even pull some creative aspect into that oh, creation yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, I am. Um, I do a lot of reading about the law of attraction and mm-hmm. you, know, you talk about the things that you want to have in your life yeah. and those are the things you focus on. And so I try to help my clients reframe um, what they don't want in their food world uh-huh. um to what they do want and so that's yeah. where i was saying like if you go to a um an event or something like that if like i would rather hear somebody say oh i just choose to have this this and this mm-hmm. um versus going i don't want to overeat i don't want to do this i don't you know and yeah. so to to i guess so it's kind of the same thing with what you're saying to build their new storyline mm-hmm. okay. yeah yeah because and i use this you know the same idea with my clients it's kind of like if you're riding a bike you look where you want to go not where you don't want to go because you're going to hit whatever <laughs> you so don't want to go or where if you, you look been. at it. That's not good either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or where you've been. Yeah. So um, I've experienced that myself on the greenway riding between those pylons. I have to always tell right? myself, look in the middle of them. Don't look at them. It's you know? so true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. So um, what are some other techniques that you like to use or just different tips um, that somebody could just take away and Mm-hmm. and start to improve their life right now. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, sort of starting with that externalizing and really filling that in and even writing about it, journaling about it, drawing a picture about it um, can be can be really helpful, a good starting place. And then from there, um, you know, they can kind of in their head start to utilize that. So if they hear that they shouldn't go um, out to eat, then they can question that and be like, okay, do do I not want to go out to eat or does Deet not want me to go out to eat? So then they start focusing on what they want. And that's really the heart of the matter for me is helping them figure out what they want to do. You know, lots of people leave behind passions and hobbies and people, frankly, in, in, in choosing to be with DEET. And so if you kind of fill up, decide what you want, get back in touch with things you maybe you used to do yeah. before DEET showed up in your life, um, that really goes a long way to pushing DEET further and further to the outskirts of your life. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's such a, um, I feel like it's a fine line to walk. It's a challenge between, because like I said, I was a competitive fitness athlete like mm-hmm. that's that was my passion that was and I learned so many great things about it yeah. I absolutely loved it I really did yeah. um you know but there were a lot of sacrifices I had to make mm-hmm. um you know and I and and I was willing to make those and even like going back there are only certain things that I do now because but I'm okay with that I'm totally yeah. good with that because I feel like my my health has improved because I gave up certain behaviors. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, I feel like the listener, you know, you're probably like, okay, well, you know, is my, is my hobby or my goal, is it, is it healthy or is it 
is it too much? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's um, just taking that perspective of like, what have I given up? And was I okay with giving it up? Yes. I was totally okay with giving up my binge drinking and overeating. Totally. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> that wasn't serving me anyway. Yeah. Um, so for me to give that up, I was fine with that. Um, you know, so, but there were certain things like certain events that I really didn't feel like going to because I knew I'd have to be around the food and I'd have uh-huh. to resist it and I just didn't want to. So I missed out on the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's even balance within that. Certainly, whenever we go after something we want, there's going to have to be sacrifices made. And that, you know, it is tricky figuring out, well, when have those sacrifices gone too far? Um, And that's part of constantly checking in with yourself. I can't tell anyone if it's gone too far, they, I mean, even if I know it has, they yeah. have to figure it out for themselves. And that's what I can do is help them kind of check in with themselves and be like, you know, it's okay that I didn't go to this party where I knew there was going to be this buffet, but then I also didn't go to dinner with my girlfriends. And then yeah. I also didn't do this and I also didn't do this. And so as you kind of string those things together, you can start to kind of notice the impact that it might be having on someone. And yeah. so that's where I kind of point people back um, to themselves and trusting themselves, which is really scary and a really important part of that's huge recovering. That's what that's what that's what so much of it comes down to. Yeah, right? I I have people who come to me and um, I have a program where I offer twelve week training, twelve weeks of training, mm-hmm. um, where they're a part of a group and it's small group coaching, and that's that's how I do that. But I also offer one to one coaching mm-hmm. if somebody wants one to one. One of the questions I ask on the application, because there is an application process, I won't work with every single person Uh because if you want me to help you self-abuse, we're not going to work together. Yeah. Uh, But sometimes what I'll see is um, the client applying has been to like, you know, I ask, like, have you tried other diets and other programs? And sometimes they've tried like every other one. And so that, you know, like that I have to take that into consideration. So I'm like, yeah. you know, do you not trust yourself? And some people just haven't found what works for them yet. Right. And other people, they haven't found any, like they don't trust themselves. So they always have to have t- somebody telling them exactly what to do. Yeah. Um, my goal with my clients is to be able to help them create this life that they don't absolutely have to have me. I mean, I'm not right. looking for job security here. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. You know, like <laughs> sure, you know, pay me to, to do the coaching piece, but I don't want somebody walking around with a piece of paper that's like well Stephanie said I could eat this and I could not eat that and have to eat this much of this and that's not how I operate because that's not how I would want to live it's not living it's yeah and the same thing happens with you know with with therapy you know kind of working ourselves out of a job hopefully to where they don't need um to come in as often and eventually ever and the same with nutritionists you know so there's a time for Having people in your life who are helping you know what to do and who are guiding you, but at the same time not taking control away from you um, if you're an adult. You know, it's kind of like you want to find those people who can help you figure out what is best for you. Yeah. 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 Um, So we're going to take one more really quick break and we'll be right back.
welcome back to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio show, where tonight we are talking about disordered eating, um, something I think is very prevalent, and it's actually kind of the, um, some of it can be, you know, the the main program um, that people are signing up for, like, you know, do this and don't do that. And um, it's a little too restrictive. And like I said, I was prior military and I really like being hardcore, but um, being too hardcore with your food can cause a lot of problems. Um, So now I want to talk a little bit about comparisons, um, social media, and just media and the dieting industry in general, because we are bombarded by images every day. We are bombarded by the diet industry saying, you know, you can get these results in this short amount of time. Here are some pictures. Um, being in the industry, I it it's amazing to me. I see um, I see quote unquote transformations happen. Um, I know the behind the scenes on some of these where they're like, oh, this product is great. And I was like, no, you were taking drugs. I know you, <laughs> um, you know, so there's that. Um, but it's hard to sift through that stuff. And, um, and then it, it, I think even on a subconscious level, even if, you know, in the forefront of our minds, we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. But evolutionarily, our, our visual, like what we have been able to look at and what we put in our brain as real, like that happens, whether we're on guard or not, um, mm-hmm. it still happens. So I want to talk a little bit about um, about realistic expectations. Okay. Um, when somebody is setting a goal, because you have to have goals, right? Like yeah. if you don't have goals, you're not going to go anywhere and, you know, numbers are measurable. Right. So what would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody on setting goals, especially mm-hmm. since we're, we, we get all of these random messages for us all the time. Yeah. Well, and it's important to, with those messages, really be able to look at them um, and um, look at them critically. And so there's, you know, this whole kind of media literacy aspect, I think, to, Ooh, I love that to body image um, yeah. and, being able to really, you know, kind of discern, well, what is what is this product saying? What are they trying to sell here? What are they using to sell it? Is it realistic? Um, and so that way you can kind of start, someone can start questioning, okay, is that the goal I want? So this pr- product or this, um, you know, person is sort of putting out this is this is where you can get to. Yeah. And so you come up with that as, well, this is my goal. And then, but then if you find out that it wasn't realistic, that you actually can't get there without drugs or some Photoshop or something else, yeah. um, then you might change your goal a little bit. So even yeah. before the goal setting, I would kind of, you know, encourage people to think critically about their goals and make sure that they are realistic and that they aren't based on a lie that's being fed to them by the media or yeah yeah that's that's good I I like that like the the media literacy yeah that's great yeah um and you know from my background and just playing with the camera I know so I learned this from my grandfather he taught me how to make the fish bigger we we went or we went fishing and I caught a fish and he I said we take a picture of me grandpa and he goes yeah and he goes do you want to make it look really big and I said yeah (laughs) and so he goes hold it really close to the camera 
Mm. Anything that is closest to the camera is going to look really big. Right. The things that are behind, further away from the camera, are going to look not so big. Yeah. So guess what? I can make it look like my thighs don't touch. Like Mm -hmm. they are the smallest things ever. My thighs will always touch. Yeah. (laughs) That's just from a camera angle. Yeah. If I angle it really high above me, (laughs) you know, my shoulders and my chest and everything can look really big. Yeah. And then I can make my hips look really narrow and my thighs look really small. Yeah. So just understanding that there are, you know, there are tricks in this stuff. Like it's not, it's not like it, you know, it, I do have people who will show me a picture of their goal. And I'm like, look, I can look at that from my standpoint and say that she, well, there are a lot of times I can tell if, if somebody's been using drugs or not. Yeah. Um, not always, but from my years in the industry, I can tell. Um, or I can tell like some of the, um, some of the Photoshopping that's right. been done. Yeah. Um, the camera angles. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, I, I try to keep a lot of my images that are out there. Um, one one photographer in particular likes to like really make my skin very smooth. But uh-huh. outside of that, there's no photoshopping to make me leaner or anything. Uh-huh. Um, but I like to use a lot of images that just use lighting and they don't use Photoshop. They're yeah. pretty much unedited. Um, but you can bet that I'm using Tanner. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm using angles and I'm uh-huh. using lighting. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I probably prepped for that photo shoot, meaning that I went on something pretty restrictive for at least a couple days, if not a couple weeks prior to it. Yeah. So, you know, walking around like that is not, is not feasible. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm, you know, I meet people all the time in my work and especially young girls who, you know, I wish they could have that perspective someone who's been there who could say to them that's not real and I think more and more with some of the like upworthy sites and sites where they kind of debunk the different photoshopping yeah, type Dove things does a good run. yeah, yeah. Um, and they put out you know that target ad where the thigh gap was like a rectangle like it looked like her <laughs> she looked like a Barbie doll like it was so cut out like a rectangle like up into her her buttocks but so stuff like that that (laughs) does get put out there if you're looking for it but having someone who can say hey I've been there this picture right here and tell them exactly everything that went into it I think would go a long way to helping these young girls especially know that this isn't what a real person looks like 24 7 yeah yeah that it was one instant with all these variables and yeah, there are a lot of variables. I, I did put a blog post out. I may link that one in here too. No, I will now that I'm talking about it. But <laughs> I put a blog post out about um, what I looked like five weeks prior to a competition one time. Uh-huh. And it was just me. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a fit girl, but it was, it was a big difference between yeah. that fit girl picture and then, you know, five weeks later at the competition. Yeah. Um, I also put together like some of the things that. Um, that I had to go through to get to that. And I was okay with that at the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like my sleep was interrupted because mm-hmm. I wasn't having enough carbohydrates. My, my, um, I was fuzzy thinking. Like it took mm-hmm. me three times as long to do anything. Yeah. I was moody. Um, and it just, it wasn't like, that's no way to live really. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a short term goal and maybe you want to do something, but, um, even more importantly is coming out of that in the right way. Right. So you're not just yeah. like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Party it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I, I, and listeners, you 
follow me on social media because I do share that stuff a yeah. lot. I try to, you yeah. know, I, I, I really do try to that. And yeah, because young girls, you know, you're impressionable. Mm-hmm. I know I was super impressionable. I mean, I, I, it's so funny. I look at the old pictures of the competitors that I used to totally idolize. And uh-huh. now knowing what I know, I was like, you guys were on drugs. <laughs> right. never going to look like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you had known that, then when you're younger, maybe you would have been easier on yourself or Absolutely. something, you know, it may have impacted, um, you still may have done the fitness competition, but maybe internally you would have been a little gentler with yourself. You're absolutely or, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the big things for me, um, so anybody who's, you know, interested in this fitness competition thing, one of the, inter- one of the big things for me was, um, I remember, you know, during competition season, you only see your team at the competitions and then, Outside of that, you don't really see each other very much. Well, mm-hmm. unless you go to fitness camp in the middle of winter. And so I remember I was going to fitness camp in the middle of winter and I was so nervous because I was like, oh my God, she's going to hate me. I just, she told me to gain like five to seven pounds and I gained like 15 or 17 pounds. And oh my gosh, she's going to hate me. And I remember we were talking about off season and she goes, Stephanie, will you please stand up and pick your shirt up? And I was like, Oh my God. And she's going to do it in front of everyone. And I raised my shirt up and I was like almost in tears. And she goes, see, this is what an off season body should look like. And I was like, I did it right. Oh, wow. <laughs> what yeah. she was trying to say is you can't, I mean, even the fitness coaches will tell you, you cannot stay lean all year round. Right. And that was, I mean, that was such a relief for me. Yeah, I bet. I <laughs> and bet. all the other girls said the same thing. It was so great. I showed up to fitness camp and realized that everybody puts a little extra weight on. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's just healthy weight. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So even fitness models don't walk around with six pack abs typically. Yeah. <laughs> Some. But that's the, that's the, you know, very few. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, um, what else, let's see, I want to talk a little bit too about, um, about maybe like some of the uh, the emotional things that we put together with food. Do you find that that's a big problem? Like quote unquote good foods, quote unquote bad foods. Does yeah, I think yeah eating? that sort of moral kind of putting that moral judgment on it because um, then I, people tend to then internalize it. So if they ate good food, they're a good person, and if they ate bad food, they're a bad person. And um, when really, you know, maybe it's um, more um, effective or helpful to look at food as healthy or not healthy or how it's functional for a particular purpose um, instead of these kind of moral labels. But we come by that honestly because back to the media literacy thing, if you look at commercials about food, I mean, you get like spiritual connotations, you get sexual Mm. connotations. So it can be, you know, just this sort of sinful delight or it can be this like amazing spiritual experience. So there even in that marketing and branding you have it's good food it's bad food wow and, and that is on a much deeper level yeah Whew, I didn't yeah think about that yeah wow. so we like we take that in subconsciously and we we are sure. processing that real yeah. real good yes yeah so even just changing the language and makes you at least think about it so if you start to say this is really bad for me and instead say this is unhealthy for me even just that change of language makes you go give you gives you enough pause to think about how you're internalizing it 
yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, I try to think about it in a way that, um, because I always see my body as being like trying to build something, right? Because mm-hmm. I've found that if I, once I shifted my thinking from the, um, blasting fat and the burn it off and uh-huh. all that stuff like that tearing it down yeah. perspective and like beating it into submission yeah to changing it to more of i am building the strongest mm. body i can and yeah. so i want to give it the best building blocks i want that protein to build strong muscles yep. i want that fat to make me have like some nice shiny hair and skin and yeah. i don't mean greasy but you have to have fats <laughs> um <laughs> you know it makes your brain function better right um so so that's kind of how I tried to to change the thinking that about around food. Yeah. Because I do pay attention to if it's quote unquote good or bad. But, you know, it's just like I wouldn't want to give myself garbage. It's not good fuel. Right. Right. And I think that that metaphor is great. You know, that in that perspective on doing something positive instead of the, you know, the tearing it down, because then that can even help people who, you know, who maybe don't want to have fat, but they can recognize the function of it Yeah, in this goal that they have, this kind of bigger overarching goal of building a strong body. Yeah. Yeah. And I once read something too about, um, what did they say? Um, athletes athletes fuel and train <laughs> so yeah i can't remember who they said <laughs> diet and, and exercise i can't remember what the way they're like somebody diets and exercises but uh-huh. athletes fuel and train yeah. and i mean aren't we all kind of athletes like we're you know trying to build some strong bodies and um you don't have to want to go do a spartan race like i do but you know just to i mean life is life is is uh an event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think even just those small tweaks in the wording really does make a difference for people, you know, and makes them think about it differently. Well, food is fuel. I do need food. Um, and how can I use this fuel most efficiently in my life? Yeah. You know, yeah. To build that good life. Yeah. To have good energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that a lot of times too, I don't know if you, um, find this, but sometimes people are lacking energy in all of their lives, but they don't really make that connection that it's because they've been depriving b- depriving themselves so much with food. Yeah. So like yes. you do need fuel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And a lot of times there isn't that connection and there's not that connection because they're so hyper-focused on what they're not eating and as opposed to what they are eating or what they mm-hmm. want to eat to build a body. So they're yeah. really hyper focused on what they're not eating. What can I cut out? What can I cut out? Um, and then just cognitively, once you kind of aren't getting enough nutrition, then you're not thinking clearly anyway. And so it's much easier to stay in that trap of, well, but you know, I'm this size and I'm this weight and I can run this far. And so I'm on the right track. Yeah, it must be healthy. Yeah, it must be healthy. <laughs> yeah. But cognitively, even the people in their lives can start to notice that they can't focus as well. Um, they forget things. They're sluggish. Um, they can see the ramifications of not getting enough of the nutrition. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really tough. Yeah. And once you get into that, I think it's kind of hard to see it Yeah. Um, from the outside. Yeah. So we're going to take one more really quick break, and we will be back. You've heard me talk a lot about learning how to reach your fitness goals and more frequently how to look as fit as you feel while learning to stop chasing skinny. 
And you've also thought to yourselves, yeah, I do want to reach my fitness goals in a shorter, more concise way. To stop wasting my time bouncing back and forth from fitness tip to fitness tip in magazines, wasting hours researching the latest and greatest diet, only to end up looking and feeling the same way you've been looking and feeling for years. And my guess is that you've been thinking about this for a long time. Am I right? I know the feeling because I played these games too. For a very long time, in fact. I'm here to tell you this. Stop thinking and sign up for the SK Fit Life Challenge, an online training, nutrition, and coaching program that will lead you through 12 weeks of step-by-step guidance to help you finally reach your goals of looking fabulous and feeling fabulous. You're going to get to free up all the headspace you've been wasting, picking through random diet information being fed to you through the media and simplifying the seemingly complicated world of health. Your chance is now. Do you really need more time, more information, more plans for the future? Or do you want to become that fit person today? Because the truth is this. You can be that fit person, or you can be the person that sits around thinking about becoming fitter. It's your choice. Read more magazines, blog posts, and bits and pieces on social media, or take action. Because let's face it, if you're not where you want to be, your current program is not working out for you. I want you to be successful. And why is this? Because you've already got what it takes. You've been doing the work all along. It's just been the wrong work. You have the desire, the discipline, and the potential. Now let's get you on the right track so those efforts you are already putting in can take you in the best direction possible. Join me and the hundreds of other SK Fit Life clients for the 12-week online fitness challenge at skfitlife.com. All right, now let's get back to the show. to the Stop Chasing Skinny radio show, where today we are talking about disordered eating. This is something super near and dear to my heart. Um, I, you know, I, I, I went through it for a very long time. I called it fitness, <laughs> um, you know, because it, it's easy to, to say, oh, no, I'm just working towards a goal. Um, so at what point does your goal start to impact your life. So um, a lot of people have heard my story with my adrenal failure um, and a lot of people didn't and I have more to add to it. So real quick, um, I, you know, I started, well, I, so a little further back, I spent a ton of time running. I love to binge eat. So I would run and calculate out my, how many miles do I have to run to get rid of all that food that I just ate? which was terrible. It was not a good way to live. I never actually reached my goals. Um, I had to spend a ton of time running and it really beat down my body. And like I said, I mean, I never reached my goals. I never looked the way that I wanted to look. So after several years of doing this, I moved to Seattle where it was rainy all the time. And well, I didn't like running in the rain, so I got to find something different. So I picked up Oxygen Magazine, started looking at how to lift weights better. Okay, so that's what I started doing. Uh, In there, I saw that there were these fitness competitions. So I thought that sounds really cool. Um, It was also at a time in my life where I was lacking fulfillment in my job big time. Um, So I started training. I found a coach. I started training for these fitness competitions. And um, actually, the nutritionist I was working with at the time really wasn't paying attention to me and um, my check-in pictures and dieted me into oblivion. Um, Right now, I'm like 5'9", 156, 158 pounds, something like that. Um, I competed... uh, 
118 pounds. So um, that was really, wow. <laughs> really lean. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that it was a problem at the time because I, I was, I am just like a pit bull. If I latch onto something, I will do it. Plus I had somebody who was telling me to do it. So I was like, oh, she's the professional. I should be doing this. Um, so talk about some, you know, some, some problems in my life. I had, um, I, I had really bad problems focusing. I was mm-hmm. tired all the time. Um, my skin was getting um, really gross. <laughs> my hair was not good. I didn't have my period for four whole years. Wow. Um, I did this first, you know, this first season of competition is when this happened. Um, right after that, I all of a sudden I could not stop eating. I had night sweats. Um, I had I just slept all the time. I was super depressed. I gained 50 pounds. Um, I was in full on adrenal Mm. failure. Like that's what I was. So, you know, I um, had at that time, I, you know, I kind of did it to myself. I kind of hired somebody to help me get there. Um, You know, I wish they would have said, no, this is maybe, maybe you're not. A little too far. (laughs) That's a little too far. (laughs) My coworkers told me I was going too far and we were afraid that my organs were going to shut down. (laughs) That was the one time when my thighs did not touch. So I think, you know, in my path, I think that it was all meant to, for a reason. I Mm -hmm. finally felt what it felt like to be really skinny. Uh I was like, my size twos were too, too loose for me. You know, like that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, But I think I had to go there to get Uh here. So let's talk about that for just a little, a second, as far as how I took a goal Uh and I took it too far. Yeah. And I had the backing of a professional to help me. Right. So, you know, do you, do you find, um, like, I just hope that people learn from that story. I'm not, you know, you don't have to answer anything on that. But do you yeah. find that happening sometimes? Do you find that like us super overachievers like mm-hmm. to take everything to the end? <laughs> yeah. And actually, I mean, one of the things that I often hear, um, you know, if I'm, especially if I'm seeing adolescent girls, you know, it's kind of this, um, this refrain from their parents. She's such a good girl. She gets such good grades. She's such a high achiever. We don't know what happened. And it's just kind of this um, this thing that I hear over and over again. So I think those girls then, um, and men who also fit into the same sort of um, places that, um, you know, they are at risk for really anything that they kind of set their minds to, to taking it too far. Um, And so if that becomes food and weight and counting calories and counting, you know, how much they're burning with exercise, then they're kind of set at risk to take it too far. And then let's say you throw in an identity piece. So, you know, it sounds like maybe in Seattle, you know, if you were kind of, it was new, you know, lots of times moving um, and transition, big transitions like that can kind of mess with our identity and our place in the world and who we are, just like with adolescent girls. I mean, they're going through a huge identity crisis. Um, and that's a lot of times when people um, develop an eating disorder, but it can mm-hmm. happen at any time. You know, so a mom whose um, last last kid leaves the um, house to go to college, 
she's not a mom anymore. Who is she? Um, you know. Um, so any of see, those I identity even shifts think about like that yeah. time frame for. So what are some other examples? These are this is great. Yeah. If I would have like you know if I would have had a little heads up that maybe uh-huh. <laughs> right. you are so positioned to go off the rails right. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, so more of the identity piece, it can happen. You know, so you would have. I've had girls who they've gotten pretty far in the recovery in high school even and then they go off to college so college is another big time developmentally where you're going through identity stuff you're trying to figure out who you are separate from your parents you're trying to figure out you know what your belief system is um you're making new friends lots of times you're going from a high school where you've known everyone to this big college where you only know your roommate who maybe you don't really like that much. Yeah. So that those kinds of identity shifts, it can even be as maybe simple as I'm going to be a healthy person. Now I'm going to shift from an unhealthy person. I'm going to, I'm going to be vegetarian. Now I'm a vegetarian. I was that vegetarian yeah. for 10 years. Yeah. Because, okay. You know, <laughs> I did that. Yeah. And so, and then it can, okay, I'm going to be vegan now. Now yeah. I'm going to be, you know, and not to say that people who have that label are struggling with disordered eating. It can very easily become that. Though, yeah. Right? Especially if they have those other risk factors of anxiety and high achieving and perfectionism and those types of variables. So yeah, I, I read the book Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Have yeah, you read that I one? haven't. Oh my gosh, totally ties into this. Yeah, like, totally. It's so perfect because <laughs> it talks about how like, yeah, how we want to it's it's all these exact. Yeah, things. I'll have yeah. to read it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just perfect. Um, And it's it's yeah, it's where we yeah, it has it. It's everything. So listeners, if if you haven't put that on your reading list, I've, I've recommended it a couple times, but it comes right down to this. Okay. And it talks about yeah. um, the things that um, that we identify with. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> cool. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So, so these changes in life mm-hmm. and then, um, so does, is it kind of a little bit of control too? Like if you feel like you're maybe changing some other stuff and like you don't have control in a lot of different things, you start to control your food more. Yeah. That a little that bit. That definitely happens. And I know it can almost sort of take on a cliche because everyone has probably heard that at one time or another, but they've heard it at one time or another because it is true. And I think um, for a lot of people, that piece of control, and that's what, you know, so if we kind of go back to DEET, DEET offers a way of controlling this one piece of your life. Um, And so DEET says, do this and don't eat this and eat this and exercise this much. And then pretty soon, instead of taking control of that one piece of your life, you've handed it over to DEET. And now DEET's in control of that one piece of your life that you thought you had control of. So now it makes it even harder because now you're like, I don't have control of any of it. Yes. Mm. So it's very seductive because it feels like initially you have control, but then it can quickly slide out of control. Yeah. And I've seen that too, like just with, um, you know, with somebody who's uh, working on their body as Mm -hmm. far as like, okay, so I'm working on building this stronger and that stronger and I want this leaner and that leaner. And, um, you know, if you don't watch it, sometimes it can be a slippery slope and your body can control you instead of you controlling your body. Yeah. um, And it's it's interesting too, like just you know from what I do, um, how a lot of people they do make assumptions to that. Like somebody who is fit doesn't have to worry about food. Have you heard mm-hmm. that before too? Like it's 
oh, it must be nice to just be thin, like yes. just naturally thin and fit. And you're like, I, it, it must be. I don't, I don't know. It's right. I never know because I've worked at it yeah. all my whole life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And those, you know, those sorts of comments and judgments that we make about other people, they cut both ways. So they cut towards people who are overweight. They cut towards people who are healthy weight. They cut towards people who are underweight. And it doesn't do anything any of us a service to be judgmental about other people, but instead be accepting of them where they're at. And I think that starts with being accepting with ourselves and where we're at. Yeah. yeah. That even if you're trying to meet a goal, you're still accepting of who and where you're at right now. And it's almost paradoxical because how can I accept where I'm at right now if I'm trying to move forward to this other goal? So there's some tension there, but I think you, as you kind of can do that, then you can be more accepting of other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. And what did, um, yeah, there's, I can't remember something else that I read that was talking about um, how people make judgments against somebody else for the things that they are not secure with. Yes. So like people will say, oh, Stephanie, don't look at what I'm eating. Don't don't watch me work out. Like I, I didn't even notice to tell you. Right. Truth. Unless you're paying me to notice. I didn't notice. Right. Like I'm just yeah. doing my own thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, you know, that yeah. doesn't, I, I really don't care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's, um, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just busy with, with my own thing. Um, right. something else that helped me too in changing my thought process. So after I gained this 50 pounds uh-huh. after, I mean, right. So I was like 118. So I gained 50, which put me up to like 168, which is only like 10 over where I am now. Uh-huh. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, it like I still, I just had to buy a little bit bigger clothes. One, right. I said, I'm not going to let my clothes make me feel fat. So uh-huh. I was like, I'm not going to wear something that's too tight. Yeah. <laughs> good. So I put something on the fit. Yeah. Um, and then the next step too was I got a new job and I actually ended up working with um, a government agency where they had, um, they had done, they had made a lot of accommodations for the people who had disabilities. Mm. So I worked with a couple of people who were blind deaf one person who had ms so bad that she had to wear braces um to mm. so her hands wouldn't crumple like she was in so much pain yeah um another guy that was only like maybe three feet tall it took him forever to get to work every day he was yeah. in physical pain he was Ugh. um legally blind and you know what but they got up and they did it every day and yeah. so during this time all i could think of was well I really got to stop feeling sorry for myself for not being able to fit into my small clothes over there. Yeah. You know, it's really no big deal. I have full function of my body. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like, you know, and that's where my tagline life begins when you stop chasing skinny. If you can really appreciate what you have going on. Yeah. It's a lot easier to, to have a better life than to focus on, well, what I don't have. Mm-hmm. I don't have six pack abs or I right. don't have whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that that's a good, that can help with that perspective shift and some people I know can also then use that as a weapon against themselves because they get it and they're like yeah oh wow aren't I the jerk I shouldn't be (laughs) here I am beating myself up because I can't get into my size too close anymore and this person can't even see wow I really am worthless so then they almost use it DEET actually uses that as ammunition against themselves to even make themselves feel worse. So, mm. you know, it's it's an important um, perspective to have on life to be grateful where you're at and to recognize that not everyone, you know, is given kind of the same lot in life and then to stop there. 
and yeah. not take it that extra place where you're beating yourself up for feeling differently because yeah. that's where you're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really, that's really good. Yeah. Because so much <laughs> of this is just so, you know, and thank you for doing what you do because oh, this is like, this is one of those things like it is so not cut and dry. It's not. It is so hard to treat. I actually met a, um, a psychiatrist in um, when I lived in Costa Rica, who mm-hmm. was vacationing there, and and we were talking about what she did for work, and she said that she prefers to, you know, I, so she doesn't specialize in this, but she prefers to stay away from eating disorders, yeah, because it is so messy mm-hmm. and so difficult. Um, so thank you for doing yeah. what you do. Well, thanks, and I really enjoy it, and it can be messy and difficult at times, and just to end on it happier note um there's really a lot of hope in it as well i mean people really do make progress um people who have disordered eating they they make their way towards a more balanced life people who have full-fledged eating disorders they um make their way into recovery um and oftentimes it's those people like yourself who are wanting to then help other people. Yeah, so we've been there. We yeah, know you know how terrible it is. Yeah. So it's really, you know, for me, I get a lot of enjoyment um, and feel really privileged when I can work with a client and see that progress and see them move forward into having a more balanced and joyous and fulfilled life. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so that for me is a real privilege and makes it, you know, some of the messier parts worth it. <laughs> totally, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. in the end, oh, I, yeah, I've had a couple clients that they have been the biggest challenges for mm-hmm. me. But when I finally see them make that progress, they get to the other side of it. It's yeah. just like, it's like a really big payday. Yeah. Like, yes. It's just, it oh is. my gosh. Yes. yes yeah. You this is why I do this. It's yes. that affirmation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And um, share just a little bit about how we can contact you. I will put all of your information in the show notes too. So people okay. can find you. Great. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you're, um, you have a website. Yep. DrJillTherapy.com. And I'm actually about to launch a new website and it'll be that same website address, but I'm super excited about that. That's exciting. So yeah. hopefully in the next week or two that will be up. And okay. then um, you can email me at DrJillTherapy at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can get emails that way. There's also contact forms on my website. If you just click on that, it'll um, shoot me an email as well. Okay. And you're located right here in Charleston, which a lot Mm -hmm. of our listeners are here. Yeah. Um, But my program goes actually internationally. So um, you can do Skype Skype consultations and things like that as well? I can. Um, I prefer to meet with people um, first, you know, face to face. Um, But certainly, you know, we could at least sort of have a conversation and then help point them in the right direction if they need to get help locally yeah. where they're at you yeah because I found I have a friend who was talking about um, addiction and alcoholism and problem drinking and she put her contact information out so because some people don't really know um, kind of what their problem is or do yeah. they have a problem can sure. I just talk to somebody real quick and let me know before you know before I I 
go in and so do I have a problem? So, yeah. so you have a contact form. And people yeah. Can, and people can, can definitely that. contact me about that. And then I can sort of push them in the right direction if they're not local or, or they need something a little bit different. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cause I, I like to do that. Like I said, I'm the first, I feel like I'm the first line of defense uh-huh. um, when, you know, somebody goes, okay, well, I need to lose weight. Yeah. And you know, sometimes yes, they just need a workout program. They need some guidance on nutrition. They need yeah. some support, but sometimes they need a functional medicine doctor. Sometimes uh-huh. they need to get help with, um, disordered eating mm-hmm. um, something like that so it's great yeah. to have that network so yeah it thank is you so much good. yeah thank you for having me this has been fun i've enjoyed yeah. it great yeah. and thanks for listening to the stop chasing skinny radio program if you ever have any kind of um questions that you want to ask or topics you want me to cover or guests that you think would be great for the show you can email us at radio at skfitlife.com and we look forward to talking to you next week River broke the bloodwood and the desert oak, holding wrecks and boiling diesels, steaming 45 degrees. This has been a Clicks Radio production. For further details, visit our website, clicksradio.com. <laughs>